Hello, everyone, and welcome to HR Works, the podcast for HR professionals. We really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day to join us. I am the host of HR Works, Jim Davis, and the editor of the HR Daily Advisor. This podcast aims to put valuable tools and knowledge into the hands and ears of you, the HR professional. These tools will arm you with the best methods and strategies for attracting, motivating, and retaining top talent. Where does learning fit in with all this? Even if you onboard the best employees, if you don't train them well or at all, everything suffers from the employees right down to the bottom line. Today, we are lucky to be joined by learning expert Tanya Staples. Tanya is the VP of Product Learning Content at LinkedIn. Over 10 years ago, Tanya was an author and online video creator at lynda.com, a LinkedIn property. Driven by her passion for education, she joined the company full-time and has worked closely with co-founder Linda Weinman to ensure her teaching style and philosophy are represented in all lynda.com instructional content. She now oversees both the content management team who defines the content strategy and the production team who executes against that vision. Tanya, thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. You're most welcome. Um, Just to begin, could you just tell us a little bit more about LinkedIn Learning and your work and how that platform is different than other learning providers? Absolutely. So, I mean, first, let's, um, you know, we'll sort of put it into context. So LinkedIn Learning is a a new product that we launched at LinkedIn after the acquisition of lynda.com. So lynda.com really evolved um, in, we put it on, put lynda.com online officially in 2002. That was our online subscription business, um, which was the the baby of Linda Wyman and her husband and co-founder, Bruce um, Haven. They had had a very successful book and classroom business for many years and then had to, out of various you know reasons, needed to sort of pivot the business um, to make it cost effective and easy for people to access training. And so that's when lynda.com went online in 2002. We had 32 video courses at a time before there was any YouTube and people didn't have high-speed internet access. Um, and at the time really sort of served the, the creative pro market. And then really evolved that, you know, between 2002 and when LinkedIn bought us in 2015 to, to serve a broader audience um, and really start to, to tee us up to be able to serve the L&D Pro, which is kind of what our, our primary target market is right now on the, on the enterprise side. And LinkedIn Learning is essentially um, taking all the goodness of lynda.com, so all the years of expertise that we've um, built up creating uh, great video-based content, and wrapping it in the goodness of, uh, of what LinkedIn brings us. And there's sort of a few things. So we have our content, right? That comes from the many years that we have of developing content with lynda.com. We have about 14,000 courses and growing across seven different languages, English, German, French, Spanish, Brazilian, Portuguese, Mandarin, and Japanese. And we add about 60 new courses every week. So that's, that's kind of number one, the, the sort of the base of the pyramid is content. Then we layer on insights. One of the great things about being part of LinkedIn and launching LinkedIn Learning is that through the LinkedIn economic graph, we're able to really drive a deep understanding of what our members and our customers need, what the skill gaps are, what their course preferences are. And that allows both us and our customers, which like I said, are primary L&D, primarily L&D professionals, to really understand you know, what their learners need so that they're serving up content that really serves the, the larger organization that they're, that they're serving. And then the last part is the learning experience, which 
again, because we have this um, really rich economic graph data, we we know a little bit about people through their their profile. It means that we can target the content to them um, in a in a very unique way to serve up things that, you know. What a developer needs is maybe different than what a marketing manager needs. It is maybe different than what a technical writer might need. And then in addition to that, we've also got some great community and uh, social and interactive experiences. Um, you know, we just launched a QA feature, which allows um, our members to watch a course. Maybe they struggle with a section or don't understand a section. They can post their question and either people that are taking the course, members of the community or the instructor themselves can respond and, and give feedback to them directly. So it's kind of through the, the content, the insights and the learner experience that really is what makes LinkedIn Learning what it is. What do you think that the landscape of learning in general in you know corporate America is? What does it look like right now compared to maybe 10 years ago? That's a great question. You know, I think um, I think we're in the midst of a of sort of a big pivot in terms of learning. And you know, I think 10, 20 years ago, learning was really, you know, focused on, you know, think about how prominent the manufacturing industry was, particularly in the U.S. for so many years. And in those, you know, at, the, at that point, it was, you know, how do I make someone, you know, be more efficient? How do I make someone, you know, do something quicker? Right. Um and now it's really, you know, it's really changed in that technology is kind of the driving force behind everything, right? Um, most people need to be using a computer, be using a mobile device to use to, to do their job. And what that unfortunately means, given that software programs and hardware is updating, you know, pretty much every second of every day, it really creates a world where people have to be learning all the time and refreshing their skills. Um, you know, there's a, a stat that, you know, basically indicates that the, you know, the shelf life of skills has, you know, started to increase and is maybe down to as little as five years, right? And so it's really forcing people to sort of have to learn on an ongoing basis. I think like when I went to college, there was sort of this promise that you went to college, you got a job and, and the school part was done, right? Um, and now it's, you know, there's the school part of your life, but learning really becomes something that's essential you know, every single day. So this notion of lifelong learning to continue to evolve your skills is really important. And I think in companies, you know, there, there's sort of two parts to that. I think L&D is now getting a seat at the table that they maybe didn't have in the past. Um, you know, we're seeing that unlike, you know, even as little as a couple of years ago, where, you know, 27% of L&D pros said that they had a limited budget as a top challenge, or now it's 27% say they have um, budget challenges versus 49% a couple of years ago, right? So that's almost in half, right? Two years. So they're, they're definitely starting to get, you know, a seat, a seat at the table. And also we're seeing, you know, individual um, employees ask for it, right? We see that 74% of employees say they want to learn during their spare time at work. And many employees are saying, you know, I would value learning opportunities more than a pay rise or, you know, or something else, because I really see that I have to, you know, evolve my skills on a regular basis to be relevant and successful in my job. So again, like to just sort of, you know, recap that it's really with technology driving everything, it's, it's forcing people to learn, you know, on a much more ongoing basis. And I think that it's sort of a pivot point right now for, for L&D teams. Now, seeing that increase in the number of companies that are budgeting for learning suggests that leaders are starting to understand how important it is. Um, 
you know, because without the leaders on board, there's no funding. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so are there any, do you have any information on how people are getting through to their leaders or maybe even any advice for someone who knows their workforce needs training um, and they don't think that maybe their leadership is taking it as seriously as they should? Yeah, I think that it's really um, about, you know, the, the best advice I could give to somebody who's in L&D is that you've got to have a really solid partnership with your business partners, right? And, you know, whether that is, you know, your business partner is the head of engineering or your business partner is the COO or the CEO, um, it's really about um, starting the conversation by listening, you know, really understanding, like, what are we trying to do as a business? Um, what are we trying to accomplish? And what is it that we feel we need our talent to be doing and not doing um, over the next you know, year or two or three years to, to help get us there, right? So it's what does the team need what, or what does the business need? What do our teams need to do to evolve? And then what do individual employees you know, need to do to, to do that? And I think that the more that L&D leaders can be really you know, closely partnered with their business partners, um, you know, that's, that's the most important thing. And, and you're right. Like when you get the C-suite on board, that's where, um, that's where it happens, not just in terms of funding, but also in terms of engagement. Right. Um, we have a company in, uh, um, in Zimbabwe actually that the CEO published a video to all the employees that basically said, you know, we bought LinkedIn learning for you guys. We want you to be engaging one or two hours of every single week. Right. And so when you have the C-suite on board and making that type of statement, it's not just that you're getting funding. It's that you're giving the employees the permission slip to do it. Because the number one thing we hear from from people about like why they didn't engage with a learning product is like, I didn't have time. I didn't have time, which is really in the grand scheme of things, a euphemism for I didn't make it a priority. Right. <laughs> but when you have, um, you know, managers, senior leaders and, and, and business leaders giving permission verbally, vocally, and in a public setting, that's really what sort of changes the behavior in an organization. Yeah, because, you know, um, we, I talk about that particular issue with, you know, getting leadership buy-in and usually beyond just a financial standpoint a lot because, um, because it's critical, you know, just like if you're talking about company culture, that has to start at the top. Absolutely. Um, and if you're talking about learning culture, that's the same thing, right? Yep. Um, one of the, you know, the things is that there's so many different facets to why a workforce may not be engaged or why a workforce may be falling behind. And they're all critically important and that learning is really just one part of it. Um, how, how would you advise HR leaders that have you know, they're trying to do it all. They're trying to solve their employee engagement problem. They're trying to solve their, you know, wellness benefits problem. And each of these is so critical to the success of that company. And they've identified that learning is also um, something that, that really needs to happen. How would you help them prioritize this? Do you mean how to, how to prioritize learning against other initiatives or... Yeah. Or even just amongst them, you know, because it and make sure that they're, you know, you did talk about partner, partnering with your, your leaders, but just to mm -hmm. make sure that your leaders understand that this isn't just another thing that HR wants. This, this is something that's really important. 
Yeah. So honestly, I would start with what's, you know, what we call employee voice survey and uh, LinkedIn actually just purchased a company um, called Glint not too long ago, um, late last year. And Glint is exactly that. It's an employee voice um, survey tool that is kind of constantly helping you get the pulse on what your employees think and feel about their experience at their company. And you know, that is, I think, really critical for um, business leaders and, you know, L&D and the broader HR team to really understand exactly what's on their employees' minds, because sometimes it is exactly what you said. It's the the comp and benefits that's really what's on folks' minds. And then other times, once you sort of get folks beyond that, that's when they start to get into to learning. But when you can use employee data to say, hey, you know, 75% of our employees want this, or 60% of our employees want this, or 10% say this isn't, val or, you know, 80% say this isn't valuable to them at all, then it actually makes it a much easier conversation. Um, so what we recommend with Glint is that, um, you know, usually on a quarterly basis, there's an employee voice survey, um, short, sweet, simple questions that really get to the root of things. Um, and then that's, you know, as HR, and more importantly, as business leaders and as C-suite, you can kind of be looking at the pulse of, of the employees, understanding how people feel. And then that really helps to, to see the gaps of, of what to focus on. So I would definitely suggest, you know, any company that's not using EBS, Employee Voice Survey, um, it's a pretty, pretty critical, pretty critical thing. And I can say, you know, I see the benefit of that on the product side, working with the Glint team, but then also myself as a business leader, you know, I oversee a team of 300 people globally and it's like, I couldn't run my team without that. I couldn't prioritize, you know, which, you know, which things to tackle without a tool like that. That's a great answer. Thank you. Um, let's talk about different generations in the workplace. It's a big topic. We have, uh, by some counts, as many as five generations. Uh, and meanwhile, virtually every job, as you mentioned, requires someone to be capable of using a computer, staying current with technology. Obviously, training is a huge part of that. Um, what kind of learning trends are you seeing amongst and between the generations? Yeah, I mean, we're definitely seeing that all generations um, rank self-directed learning as their preferred approach to learning. That's something that, that we see. But it is highest mm -hmm. among Gen Z and it is highest among millennials, which is 43 and 42 percent, um, respectively. 59% um, of Gen Z don't think their job will exist the same way it is 20 years from now. So they absolutely understand, you know, why it's so important to, to have learning. We also see an increase of um, a desire for mobile learning, um, especially from, you know, Gen Z and millennials who have, you know, essentially grown up with a, a phone in their hand, right? Yeah. Um, and so we definitely, definitely see those trends. Like I said, we hear across the, the broad, you know, landscape that everybody would like to see more self-directed learning. It's hard to carve out two or three days to go to an in-person um, class, but we definitely see from Gen Z and millennials a, a, a slightly higher desire to engage in online. What about the older generations? Um, you know, it's all the studies show, especially diversity studies, it's really important that they stay engaged, that they don't feel ostracized, that people don't, um, you know, participate in ageism, you know, and, and I think there's some real stereotyping that goes on with you know older people and their use of technology how how do you how would you suggest to an hr manager that they make their training available and and 
easy to use for everyone? I mean, I think it has to be, um, number one, it's a matter of having a broad-based library, right, so that everybody can find something um, that works for them. The second is um, to really to really make learning safe, right? Um, and, and allow it to be self-directed so that if if I want if I'm feeling a little insecure about my Excel skills, I can kind of do that in a self-directed way without publishing to the world or having some assessment that's like telling everybody how well I did at it, right? So respecting some confidentiality and privacy with um, with the individual learners. Um, and then more than anything, it's a matter of thinking like a marketer, right? It's, it's a matter of really understanding like, okay, I have these different demographics in my organization and how am I going to personalize something for, you know, different, different parts of the organization. And again, it, to me, it always comes down to if you really focus on what the business is trying to accomplish, what teams are trying to accomplish, what individuals need. And this is where I think the role of, again, that partnership um, between the L&D Pro and business leaders, especially when you get into like first and second line managers, where you can really use them to help understand exactly what skills, you know, need to get developed, then I think it works. It works really well. But the most important thing is something, is a solution that's broad that allows everybody, no matter what their job function is, what their job, job level is, um, with their ages to be able to engage in something that that helps them with whatever it is they're struggling with at any given moment in time is the biggest challenge is that to develop a program that lets you know somebody over here figure out how to learn seo and someone over here learn python and someone over here learn collaboration is is pretty tricky to develop that many programs so by being able to focus on something broad-based that has a lot of breadth a lot of depth to it you can self-serve a much broader audience so great points. Um, you mentioned that millennials and Generation Z were the most likely to want to use self-training. Um, what about their overall interest in training? Yeah, those those two de- those two generations, I think for sure, definitely see that like what gets you here won't get you there, right? They they see loud and clear that things are changing very, very quickly and are very well aware that they're going to need to, um, they're going to need to, to upskill on a regular basis. Like I said, Gen Z believe, 59% believe their job will exist the same way. 59% don't think their job will exist the same way 20 years from now. So they are, you know, painfully aware that they've got to continue to evolve and learn their skills to, to continue to grow. And both, you know, over a quarter of both Gen Z and millennials believe that the number one reason they would leave a job is inability to learn and grow. So if they don't feel their companies are investing in them, they're going to move on because they definitely see that their career is in their hands. Um, I think millennials in particular take a lot of flack for being entitled. You know, there's a lot of sort of snarky journalism that talks about millennials being entitled. Um, On one hand, you know, I understand where that point of view is coming from. On the other hand, this is a generation that has, you know, watched their parents struggle, um, 
that believes that they've got to take their their career into their own hands. They don't have a pension at the end of the rainbow, right? They've got to work for, you know, what's going to put them through, you know, their entire life. And so they know they've got to upskill on a regular basis and be willing to change jobs and be willing to change companies. And they they kind of have a limit on how long they're going to be willing to stay with a company if they don't see that that commitment to them. Let's talk about remote workers. Um there's this huge change in the last 10 years. More and more people are working from home. Um, and that's trend by all accounts is just going to keep going. Meanwhile, you know, there's a, a demand for collaborative learning. So how do you square and, and just sort of collaboration in general, really? How do you square collaborative, the need for collaborative learning with a remote workforce? And how are people, how are companies addressing that? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. So, I mean, I think there's sort of a few layers to that. I think on the online side, you know, one of the things that we've done is add Q&A to the mix, which allows people to ask questions and start conversations with other people that are taking the class, right? So, that actually helps to build some collaboration and community. And, and we do have the ability that um, L&D pros could actually turn on Q&A just for their company. So let's suppose I wanted to run a program on, um, you know, for first line managers and they were all distributed around, you know, the US, Europe and APAC, right? I could put them all into a, a cohort and give them, you know, access to the, the Q&A and they could kind of discuss amongst themselves, right? That helps make learning less lonely. Um, so that's one. We also um, are just testing um, study groups, which is sort of a similar concept, but less kind of facilitated by the instructor that lets people who are taking the course at that moment in time, you know, just be able to, you know, communicate on the topic as much as they are on the actual course itself. So I think technology is a great facilitator of people being able to, to engage. I also have seen um, companies use sort of you know, online VC and in person, you know, really effectively where what they do is they use the the online component as, you know, flipping the classroom, right? Where it's like, okay, this is, you know, uh, our, you know, management 101 class. It's all, you know, we're going to bring 50 frontline managers together. Go watch these three courses on your own. And then whether it's in VC or whether it's in person, we're going to do the online component that's more workshop and facilitated um, from a role-playing perspective so that people actually have some practice. It helps eliminate kind of that stage on the stage, um, you know, sit and be lectured at for, you know, a day or two days when you're giving up precious time. So those are some ways that, uh, you know, we've seen, you know, distributed workforces, you know, use our tools um, really effectively. And I think, you know, Online actually makes it in a lot of cases a little easier to engage remote folks because they can engage on their time, on their schedule, from their location, from their time zone um, versus when everything has to be in person. You know, you're flying people here and there. The time zone does or doesn't work. Right. Uh, so I think online is just a really great, a really great facilitator of, of helping with distributed workforces, which we're absolutely going to continue to see more of, I believe. Given the the depth of, um, you know, of learning of LinkedIn learning, you must have a pretty good understanding, a pretty good finger on the pulse of what's in demand. What would you say the top 
top skills that are that people are requesting to learn or or are learning is right now? Yeah, so there's kind of two buckets of in-demand skills. Um, you know, there's always hard skills that that people are needing to learn right now. It's nothing that would be surprising. Cloud computing, AI, artificial or analytical reasoning, user experience. Those are all some of the ones that we see, you know, as the most important ones. But more than anything, what we see is that 60% of senior leaders say that soft skills are more important than hard skills. And I think that that's a result of kind of what we talked about earlier, which is that, you know, we're, we're seeing this need to constantly, you know, reskill, right? Like maybe 10 years ago, my company used .NET, now we're on, you know, Java. Maybe two years ago, we were using this JavaScript framework, and now we're using that JavaScript framework, right? Those hard skills are going to change on a, on a very regular basis, right? So it, it, there's sort of this expectation that people know how to learn and know how to learn those skills. And so what that means is that the foundation of soft skills has to be really, really strong to be able to persevere through, you know, all of that change. Um, so being able to, you know, roll a change, being flexible, um, having really strong communication, being a good collaborator, being able to negotiate, playing nice in the sandbox with their peers, right? Those are the soft skills that we see as, you know, really, really key for people to have mastered because without that foundation, you know, I think it kind of used to be that the hard skills were the foundation, right? Like if you had the hard skills, you were good. And now I think the the reverse is there. The hard skills are going to cycle in and out. And so the soft skills are, you know, what's becoming, you know, really, really important. I mean, soft skills are people skills ultimately. And, you know, you kind of answered this before, but how possible is it to teach someone people skills through a computer? Well, I would say it's as possible as anything else. I think that learning has two components. It's having the information shared with you, and then there's the practice element of it. And I think that having the information shared with you can absolutely be done um, through the computer. The practice element is the commitment that the individual has to make to say, okay, I got what that person was saying. I'm going to go try that today, right? It, it's having that um, it's having that discipline to to sit down, learn the information, and then have the courage to go out and and try it. And in some ways, the soft skills that's really the key. It's the courage to go and try something different, right? Hard yeah. skills sometimes you can do that a little bit more on on your own, right? <laughs> if I try something new with a pivot table in Excel, the whole world's not going to see it or hear it. But with the soft <laughs> skill, right? It's the stakes are a little bit higher if I try that out. Um, but that's really kind of what it is, is is the commitment to be a sponge, right? That's where, you know, the computer can really can really help and then, you know, be able to try it. And again, with things like study groups and Q&A that we've launched, that's a discussion forum where people can actually have a conversation with it. And that's where a lot of learning, you know, comes to where it's like, hey, um, you know, I tried this thing that you recommended in your video and it it went amazing and here's what I learned. And someone else will come in and say like, oh yeah, I tried it too and, and this is how it worked for me, right? Or someone will say, oh, actually I tried it and it didn't really work very well for me. And, and other people can kind of riff and, and help people kind of understand. So I think it's absolutely possible, but we do have to remember there's sort of like imparting of knowledge and then there's practice and practice, no matter what it is, hard or soft skill, you got to be willing to, to have the courage and discipline to try it. What what other trends do you think we should expect to see impact learning and development over the next few years? 
You know, I think it kind of goes back to, you know, technology is changing at a very rapid pace. Um, I think that as, you know, um, the cloud continues to emerge, there's going to be a lot of, you know, digital transformation that continues in a lot of organizations that people have to be ready for. I think that, um, you know, the soft skills are going to continue to be the most important thing. And I think based on the trends we're seeing, I think that, you know, it's really good news for L&D that, you know, most senior leaders are starting to really be aware that learning is something that's really, really key and, and something that can help differentiate their organization. I think that, you know, a lot of companies are pivoting to be a very talent first organization, which is really only going to help everyone in HR, including folks in um, talent development and L&D be able to be heard and have a voice at the table. Um, I think employees are demanding a very, very positive employee experience. And of course you have the tech industry, I think kind of leading the way on that as to, you know, how to create these amazing employee experiences. And so I think, you know, with all of that kind of coming together, it's going to be, I think kind of a, a really great, um, amazing day for, um, L&D to be able to partner with the rest of their organization and really, you know, help drive business impact through making sure people have the the learning that they need to be successful in their careers. I really just have one more question. Um, I've been hearing a lot of rumbling about in the face of a lack of, of talent because we have such a low unemployment rate and people are looking for other sources of talent that maybe normally they wouldn't have considered and among that is people without four-year degrees. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I saw um, the CEO of IBM talking about this, how they train all their employees uh, all constantly, upskill them, and they don't, they don't put a particular evaluation on whether they've completed a four-year degree or not um, because they have the infrastructure to give those people the knowledge and information that they need, provided that they're good learners in general. And I was just curious what your thoughts on, you know, as someone that's so heavily into the, the realm of learning, what your thoughts on that are? Yeah, that's, that, that's a, that's a great question. And I think it's, I don't think there's sort of like a right or a wrong or a one size fits all answer to that. I think that we're definitely at a place where people are questioning the value of a four-year degree. Um, I think people are questioning kind of the efficacy of it. And, you know, is, is the, the time and more important, especially in the U S um, the expense, right. Does it, does it justify, right. Cause essentially we're graduating, you know, students with mortgages, right. <laughs> to yeah. pay off, to try to, you know, get them set up. And I think, you know, for some people, depending on the job they want, depending on the company they want to go to, depending on what's available to them, maybe they don't need a four-year degree. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. I also think a four-year degree offers um, a series of benefits. You know, what I personally think is that, you know, a four-year degree offers a lot of benefits of you're not living with in a lot of cases, you're not living with your parents anymore. You're learning how to manage your finances. You're learning how to live on your own for the first time, or at least you have some, you know, degree of freedom, right? Yeah. There are other life skills, in my opinion, that you learn in a four-year degree that you don't necessarily learn if you just jump straight into straight into the work. 
place, right? It, it gives you that safe landing zone. And so I think that really the four-year degree, if people think of it as, if this is what I need to, to get a job, this is the, the ultimate one you know, silver bullet I need to get a job, well, that may or may not come to fruition depending on what you study, depending on what you do you know, in your summers or in your you know, free time in terms of work experience and internships, right? But I think the most important thing about the four-year degree is that people think of it as it's the opportunity to learn how to learn. Because more than anything, it's not the skills you learn in, in a four-year degree that are really what are going to set you apart or set you up for success. Maybe they will for the first year or two of your career. But more than anything, it's that you can prove that you have the ability to learn on an ongoing basis. You have the ability to teach yourself when something new comes to you. You've figured out how to master it. That's really what I think um, you know, the four-year degree in a lot of ways becomes. And then it comes down to, you know, a personal choice based on, you know, a whole variety of circumstances, including, you know, what's available to you in terms of the jobs that, that you want to, that you want to secure. So I think we're at a point where people can be successful with or without it. Um, and it's really an individual choice based on so many different factors, if it's really worth it. Great answer. Uh, learning how to learn. I, uh, I was going to say that <laughs> um, you beat me to it, but just because it's so important. Right. I mean, yeah, it makes it just a sort of a quick follow up. You know, that's something that seems like should be at the um, beginning of a training, a training regiment in general, you know, is like how to sort of give people tips on how to absorb information, you know, um, anyway, that's neither here nor there. Yeah. Um, thank you again, Tanya, for taking the time to join us today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. You're most welcome. Listeners, we are always interested in suggestions that you might have for what HR Works should cover next. Feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at HR Works Podcast or with any thoughts or concerns that you might have about the podcast in general. Thank you for listening. This is Jim Davis with HR Works.